0: 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners and custodians of this land upon which we live and work. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians who may be in our audience or listening to this broadcast. We acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement, and that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty never signed. see our Breakfast. Oh,
1: yay.
0: Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs.
2: Monday to Friday, 7am to 8:30am. Early
1: double.
3: Your
0: <laughs> 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 Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Breakfast. Today, I'm joined by Grace and Sonia, and we've got Michaela here on the panel. How's everybody doing this week?
2: It's great to have more people in the studio
4: this week. <laughs> You're not alone, Sonia. We are here. No, we're good. Thanks, Pippa. Um, I feel like it's been a big week um, with, yeah, the protesters down at down at the um, Port
0: Port Melbourne. So I'm excited to,
4: yeah, I'm excited for the show. Good.
0: Yeah, it should be a really good show today. So we've got a great show lined up. After the news headlines, we'll be starting off with the latest on the web.community picket. I'll be chatting with John Smith, one of the organisers, to hear the latest updates on that. Then we'll be hearing words from two First Nations people, Robbie Thorpe and Professor Gary Foley, about the connection between Palestinian liberation and Indigenous sovereignty. Following this, Sonia will be speaking to Merike Onus, who is the sovereign body of Pay the Rent and one of the co-founders of Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, and is active in areas of deaths in custody, youth detention and the abolition movement. The latest issue of the Overland Literary Journal has come out, focusing on solidarity between Palestinians and First Nations people. We'll be talking to Guri Khoury, poet Evelyn Ara Luan, and Dr. Michaela Saha, a Palestinian Australian writer. Got lots of fantastic content there for today's show, but first we'll start with the headlines. Between
4: April and October 2023, Monash University conducted an online anonymous survey with people who had experienced intimate partner violence while living with long COVID. 28 Australians were asked about the impact of long COVID on their experiences with intimate partner violence, including their safety and support needs. The majority of participants contracted long COVID in 2022 and had been living with symptoms for over a year. 13 respondents said they experienced abuse in their relationship before their diagnosis and another seven experienced abuse for the first time after their long COVID diagnosis. The victim survivors discussed the abuse and how it began as their health deteriorated. 18 participants said that contracting long COVID had made them vulnerable due to reduced brain functioning, poor self-esteem, social isolation and becoming financially dependent on their partners. Based on the Australian Government Productivity Commission's annual statistics between 2021 and 2022, the rate of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people aged 10 to 17 in detention was 28.3 per 10,000 young people. Incarcerated non-Indigenous people are only 1.2 per 10,000 young people.
0: According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, published yesterday by Al Jazeera, 192 medical personnel were killed from October 7th to November 8th. This includes 65 nurses, 29 doctors, 24 pharmacists, 20 paramedics, 17 dentists, 14 lab technicians, 11 medical students, 7 physiotherapists, 3 medical professors, and 1 optometrist and 1 medical engineer. The UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees says the besieged Gaza Strip is experiencing the longest communications shutdown that has kept the territory cut off from the outside world over the past week. They published on their Twitter account that the hashtag Gaza Strip is experiencing the longest communications shutdown since the war began. People are cut off from loved ones and the rest of the world, increasing the feeling of isolation. It also impedes humanitarian response and restricts access to life-saving information. That's all of our news headlines today. We'll now be playing Bama by Alara.
6: What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them.
7: This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved.
0: Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing
4: list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance.
7: Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression
6: of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active.
4: APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR.
8: Hi, I'm Leroy McQueen and you're listening to 3CR.
1: public space, undertaking political activity. That is not something that people should be telling us that we can't
4: do. Multiple actions rolling over months and years and create huge sustained pressure of social change.
1: And what we're seeing around the country right now is increasing repression of protest.
9: Protest works.
10: That's why
9: I think uh, we're seeing it
6: criminalised all over the place. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical.
0: You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast, and that was Barma by Alara. The community picket in the Port of Melbourne was set up on the afternoon of Friday the 19th of January and was in place until Monday afternoon when a police presence showed up. The picket was in place to keep an Israeli-operated Zim containment ship out of the Port of Melbourne in solidarity with Palestinians. Today on 3CR, we'll be joined by John Smith, an associate member of the Black People's Union and one of the community picket organisers. In this segment, we'll be talking about the course of events during the picket and what this means for the community. Hi John, welcome to Wednesday Breakfast, thanks thanks so much for joining us on 3CR this morning.
9: Hello, how's it going and um, thanks for having me on. It would
0: be great if you could start by telling us a bit of information about the community picket. What was the purpose of the picket and the objectives that the group were aiming to achieve?
9: So the picket was always set up to uh, be in support with uh, the Palestinian struggle. Um, we understood that the Victorian International Container Terminal, which is one of the uh, port operators down there at WebDoc, uh, was going to receive the Zim Ganges on Friday afternoon. And um, we basically thought that any kind of ship that has any connection to the Israeli regime, uh, regardless of where it operates in the world, had to be stopped. And so the picket was established sort of early Friday afternoon, around about three thirty, four 4 p.m., uh, precisely to stop workers coming in for their shift, because uh, we knew that with no workers... Uh, that the cranes won't move, the straddles won't move, and that uh, the ship basically wouldn't be able to dock.
0: Thanks for talking us through that. What's it like to organise a community picket, and how many people were down there?
9: Well, it was a um, pretty phenomenal experience. Uh, it was really my first community picket. It wasn't like explicitly about uh, wages or about an EBA or about any kind of conditions uh, on a work site. So community picket obviously varies pretty differently from a regular sort of uh, unionised picket. Uh, Everyone's aware, of course, about the extreme anti-union laws that we have here in Australia. Um, And so basically we didn't have to go to Fair Work uh, for any kind of permission to do this. Uh, And there was only about 30 people in that initial uh, launch, basically. Uh, Workers are meant to start work down there at around about 6pm, but we had a word that uh, the company was going to try and get them in because obviously... Uh, with the Unionist for Palestine Post publicly announced. Uh, we knew that they were expecting something to happen. And so if it wasn't for about 30 people, uh, various collection of people, some unionists, some anarchists, uh communists, various anti-colonial activists, uh, the ticket basically wouldn't have worked because they got on the road, uh, they were turning away workers from around about half past three on that Friday afternoon.
0: I see. And could you tell us about the events that unfolded on Monday afternoon when riot police arrived in large numbers?
9: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure (laughs) plenty of listeners on 3CR uh, not only were down there, but also would have seen the footage. Uh, The police response was unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, We had all sorts of various divisions across VicPol down there. Uh, We had a helicopter around. uh, We had the equestrian division. We had various peer support workers, senior constables, plainclothes detectives, uh, regular VicPol, and then a whole bunch of other public order response teams in their buses. And their little kind of like uh, riot police vans basically come in at around about uh, sort of yeah about three four on that on that Monday afternoon. Um, At that stage, the picket was at a pretty thin kind of um, position. There was about thirty to fifty people uh, in and around the sort of multiple gates that we've been picketing throughout the last four days. And there was various discussions that were had uh, about what to do, about how to defend it. Um, because people obviously saw that throughout the weekend there was numerous police attacks. Those police attacks had managed to be successfully defended, but I think with the kind of numbers that were mobilised with estimates being around about 200 to 300, uh, we understand that pretty much everyone made the right decision in the end, which was uh, to actually leave. Um, There were various things that were instituted to try and slow that process. We had numerous lock-ons, which ended up resulting in around about 10 arrests. Um, I'm obviously extremely inspired and supportive of all those people who made that decision uh, to try and hold the community picket at all costs because they knew that this uh, East response was going to be uh, probably resulting in the Zim Ganges coming in. And Unfortunately, after the picket was smashed up, um, which and the way that that was done was through various use of and a very liberal use of capsicum spray, not only at protesters, but also at some of our decontamination kits uh, which is obviously disgusting in Victoria Police, we do understand, uh, will be the subject of uh, numerous lawsuits, possibly, uh, given that the use of uh, force was extremely excessive compared to a peaceful protest with people chanting. Uh, I had one comrade as well who was actually pushed out of a wheelchair on the ground um, and then we still continue to be yelled at that they should move, move, move. And I'm sure listeners obviously understand Uh, The the, the irony and the impossibility of that uh, is unfair, is unjust, and the treatment was was gross. Um, And so, yeah, after that kind of response, uh, there was a rally held on the beach, there was a speaker, and there was various commitments from pretty much everyone we spoke to that uh, they want to be back because when a genocide happens, uh, it is reliant on the community to be able to stand up and to express their right to protest and to express their solidarity with the Palestinian people who not just for the last hundred and something days, but for the last 75 years, have continued their struggle uh, for justice and for land rights.
2: Hi John, this is Sonia here. I just wanted to ask, why do you think that they used so much and such overwhelming force on such a small number of people?
9: We think that at some level, uh, they wanted some uh, punitive response. In some sense, it felt very much like payback. Uh, When the public order response team had tried to break us up on that Saturday morning, uh, the picket may not have survived were it not for the group of around 30 people who had managed to avoid being kettled, and those 30 people held the ground against a public order response team uh, sort of unit. And so when they've walked there with their tail between their legs, not once, not twice, but three times throughout the course of the uh, the picket, uh, we knew that at some stage they were going to mobilise every single resource they had to try and destroy us, and, uh, and they did. So while we don't think that, uh, you know, cave all the way, uh, we understand that at some level the picket was always going to be broken up, and that kind of police force is obviously not justified whatsoever with a peaceful community assembly. Uh, so we do think that, yeah, obviously rogue cops, various orders from the higher-ups to try and punish those who had made them look stupid throughout the past three or four days.
0: Hey John, it's Michaela. I just want to ask you a question. For some of our listeners who don't understand, can you explain what cattling is as a strategy Mm -hmm. that cops use or that the Victoria Police use in subduing protesters?
9: For sure, for sure. Uh, Cattling is basically where the police will form a nice tight line. They'll stand shoulder to shoulder and they will put their hands up and they will scream uh, in a similar way to a cow, move, move, move. Uh, which became a little bit of a joke throughout the course of the picket, over and over again in an attempt to try and forcibly remove people from an area. They'll often flank and form a kind of circular perimeter around a group of people, close that uh, sort of perimeter in, and then eventually you're left with nowhere to go. Uh, thankfully, there are people who've experienced numerous attempts to do this, and so the kind of strategies that we developed throughout the course of the weekend, they adjusted, they were mobile, because... At various stages on the Friday night, they had attempted this, and they actually did successfully kettle one group of protesters, and they allowed about three or four workers in. Those workers obviously weren't enough to be able to run the shift, but um, yeah, we learned from experience that we're going to have to resist in this way, we're going to have to not be able to be kettled, otherwise we will lose our community pickets position.
0: That's a pretty shocking account. Thank you for sharing that with us today. What were some of the more perhaps positive outcomes of the community picket?
9: Uh, there was infinitely large amounts of, of, of positive moments of, of pure solidarity. Uh, on Saturday morning, we had the motorcade for Palestine reroute. So rather than going from Faulkner to Parliament, they came down to our picket for support. We had Purgatory Studio hash there from numerous periods. Uh, plenty of food was organised by the community, so much community care. We had uh, so many conversations, so many moments of just pure beauty that will all be recorded, I'm sure, at some stage. Uh, with the workers, obviously, they were never the target of our particular community ticket. It was always that Ganges ship. Uh, we actually managed to raise $20,000 in less than 24 hours in a community strike fund to support them when the Victorian International Container Terminal refused to pay their, their wages. Uh, despite the fact that they'd been stood down for an occupational health and safety hazard. So I could go on, but uh, everyone who was down there knew that the solidarity, the palpable sense of the Palestinians coming and saying that we will hold this and we will defend this, I inspired everyone to continue uh, their assembly there for as long as we possibly
0: could. Well, yeah, that sense of solidarity is really quite amazing. I'm sure that our listeners will be interested in getting some further information about this and about getting involved. Where can people get more information for further action?
9: With further actions, we always say to follow the main groups who are involved. So, of course, Union is for Palestine, Free Palestine, Melbourne, the Sid Tafada and the Black People's Union. Follow them on your social media. Uh, there will be another ticket, uh, definitely. We're unsure of a particular date or time, uh, we do know that as long as Victoria International Container Terminal has its relationships with the Zionist regime and with its um, cargo carrier, uh, we will continue to pick it. So keep your eyes peeled on those pages and um, you'll see when we do our next one.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks so much, John. We'll now no be worries. listening to My Goodness by Emma Donovan.
3: Best we be gone Out to the street where the legions are forming I heard the call More than ever before Tend to your ego. There are some wounds so much deeper than that. There are brothers and sisters whose burdens are stacked so it's breaking their backs. If we just scream at our strength, we will forget what it means.
4: Welcome back. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Um, we're now going to hear some speeches from the 14th consecutive rally in Nam, Melbourne. And it's been 100 days since the events of October 7 and of the Free Palestine rallies. So we're going to hear words from two First Nations people speaking about the connection between Indigenous sovereignty and Palestinian liberation with Uncle Robbie Thorpe, a Kratagungalung Gunai man, Aboriginal activist and 3CR broadcaster. And then we're going to hear from Professor Gary Foley, who's an activist and Goombanga people, academic writer and actor.
11: Thank you, everyone. I want to uh, acknowledge the people who occupied this land for probably at least 150,000 years before there was ever a a European or a white man on this land. That was only a couple of hundred years ago. Now it's about 99% of the people from the Northern Hemisphere and white people. People don't realise the gravity or the dimension or the magnitude of crime scene in Australia. It's a pioneer when it comes to this type of genocide, this type of occupation, and the crimes against humanity. This country has been out of sight and out of mind from the rest of the world since about 1770. And they tried to exterminate every one of our people. It's a pretty large continent here. Many black nations existed. Some don't exist anymore. Yeah. Most of the people in Victoria are the, rem- the remnants of these once amazingly powerful, beautiful people who lived in harmony with all the other nations on this land and everything on it. We were organised, socialised, Society. We didn't need to be civilised by barbarians. You're joking, aren't you? This is a crime scene. And you're all living on the proceeds of a crime. And you pay your taxes to these terrorists who call themselves a government here. They're the real masters of war here. They're behind everything. If it wasn't for places like Australia, Britain, and America, do you think Israel would be able to do the things they do? Hey? It's their funding and it's their support. It's places like Australia who embolden people like Israel to do the things that they do. Because Israel can just point back at any country in the world and say, "Look what Australia done. Look what America done, and look what Britain's done." And that justifies them, right? Pretty powerful forces, don't you think? We're up against it, folks. But our struggle is here, and how we defeat them over there is we stop the support coming from here. That's what we can do. Not just talk about things that are going on the other side of the world. We can actually do something. The politicians, these so-called human rights organisations, where are they? Where are they? They get heaps of resources and funding. Where are they when when it counts? They're not here. I just want to say thank you to all the people gathered here today and all the people who have been supporting for the last 12 weeks have been here. That's what's important, folks. We can't allow that momentum to stop. It's really hard and difficult. We know as ballers in this country We stand up against this fascist, racist society here. That's what it is. Don't be naive. Don't be fooled by stray They're demonic too. If you can do that to a people, to children, it's scary, folks. You don't want to end up like this place. It might look good. For you fellas, but for us, this is a big Israel, a big West Bank, and no one says nothing. (laughs) You take Australia out of this picture, and Israel will fall over. A lot of wealth, a lot of support, military and economically, come out of here to support that regime over there. Bombs. Munitions, moral support. You can stop it here. That's what we can do. And I would like to invite all the good people to join us on Invasion Day. Come, bring your flags. Our day's coming. I'm really heartened to see what South Africa done. And not in my wildest dreams would I have thought that country would have stood up like they have and take on these people like they have. That gives me heart. Because I know who's coming next. This country. And they've opened it up for us. Thank you, South Africa. I want to acknowledge all my people who died in this country. Like I said, people don't realize the gravity of crime scene. Victoria. This is the first constitution here in this country, this occupied land. This one here. Victoria. That disgusting racist constitution that you've got. White Australia policy. Have you ever seen one? It's an act of genocide. If we do something about it here, we cripple them everywhere else in the world. All the Zionists, everywhere. This is, a hu- this is where they get their wealth from. Places like America, stolen wealth. That's, what hap- that's what's happening, folks. We need to just keep standing together. Our day will come. The truth will defeat the lies, always. And that's what we've got to be... Standing up for. That's what's good about the world. You know, I want to see a change. Yes. Standing in solidarity with Palestine.
3: Hi, I'm Leroy
8: McQueen and you're listening to 3CR.
10: Robbie and I, as I said here a few weeks ago, 50 years ago, we were among a small, small, small group of people who marched in support of the Palestinian people in Melbourne. That's why it's so fantastic for people like Robbie and I to be here today to see a crowd like yourselves being here today. I'll be short and sweet. I want to give you a a super short history lesson for those of you who probably weren't alive at the time of the Second World War, but that's okay, neither was I. But as a historian, it's been clearly understood, ever since the Second World War at least, that... In the occupied territories, territories occupied by the Nazis during the Second World War, when the Nazis inflicted collective punishment on communities for the acts of a few, that was regarded as a war crime. It still is. And... (laughs) How... Exquisitely ironic, perfectly, that the nation that's taken Israel to the international court accusing them of genocide is South Africa. Good on, my South African brothers and sisters. From a nation that was formerly cursed with apartheid, making absolutely accurate accusations against the new nation of apartheid, Israel. I just want to finish by repeating what Robbie said. On the 26th of January, in the next couple of weeks, It's our Aboriginal people's annual day of resistance, Invasion Day. The rest of Australia calls it Australia Day. To us, it is Invasion Day. And I join with Robbie in inviting all of you to join us on Invasion Day because both our peoples have been subject to invasion and occupation. So let's make it a joint Palestinian Aboriginal Invasion Day on the 26th of January. And that was
4: a really, really powerful speeches from Uncle Robbie Thorpe and Professor Gary Foley uh, last last Sunday at the Free Palestine rally. And we're now going to go to Uh, The song We Have Survived by No Fixed Address and Us Mob. the song We Have Survived by No Fixed Address and Us Mob. And I'm now
2: going to hand over to Sonia. Thanks, Grace. Um, We're really privileged today to have Mariki Onus join us. Mariki is a Gunai Gundichmara powerhouse who grew up in Gippsland and is one of the co-founders of Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. She's also on the sovereign body of Pay the Rent and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Thanks for joining us, Mariki.
8: Hi, Sonia. How are you? Thank
2: you. Great. Now, first of all, for listeners who don't know, could you just tell us a bit about Pay the Rent?
8: So Pay the Rent is an initiative that's been around for many years. Um, and, you know, it's uh, uh, it it's has a very long history. Um, uh, like Uncle Bruce McGuinness and Uncle Robbie Thorpe um, were involved in its earlier stages. But more recently, we've um, started... Uh, I wasn't one of the start, uh, one one of the founding members. More recently, um, but uh, a few community members got together and started pay the rent, um, in its now current form. And basically, it's an initiative where um, individuals and local businesses pay um, a, whatever they like um, to pay the rent, um, and then we distribute it to um, Aboriginal people in, across the country. Um, we have two different... Uh, a few different programs that we do that through, but the main programs are the community initiatives and um, we help assist with funerals and we also help... Um, we pay... We distribute the funds to um, families who've lost loved ones in
2: custody. And when you say we, who do you, who is it that makes these decisions? Because I think that's so, important. Um,
8: there's Ben Apatangelo, Curie um, Ruska, Kalisha Morris, um, and then there's April Day and Maggie Munn, who sit on the um, on the sovereign body that make the decisions.
2: And these are all um, members of the Aboriginal community that are yeah, making uh, these yeah. decisions about how the money's spent? They're all Aboriginal people from across the country, yep. Yep. Um, Now, I got a notice the other day saying that it's more important than ever right now to be paying the rent. Could you explain why and what are the challenges being faced in the community at the moment?
8: Well, I mean, we... um, Look, we've been in the current form of pay the rent. We've been um, going for about four years um, and we've... um, Gotten to a stage. I mean, we've built the organisation up, um, and so we, um, yeah, we've we uh, built relationships around the country, um, and so you know, it's we've been able to assist with um, the floods in the Kimberleys. Um, we've been able to assist. Um, we gave you know uh, the Courier Mail funds to distribute to their community when the floods happened in. And around, I think it was Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry, Lismore. Um, the Lismore floods. Um, and we, uh, like the funerals are increasing for us, the more and more people know about it. And that's probably our biggest expenses is assisting people with funerals. Um, and, you know, deaths in custody, we're seeing a huge rise there. And so um, we do get a lot of support, but. Um, we do need more rent payers to be able to deliver the funds, to distribute the funds that we do. Um, and it's mainly, a, you know, we you know, we do assist with funerals, um, but, you know, we help with campaigning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have... We assist Dajwa Foundation, um, the foundation set up for Aboriginal deaths in custody, um, to assist families to... Um, attend inquests um, and you know assist them with like, you know, dad will help them with campaigning um, and you know and help assist family to get to where they need um, and many other campaigns around the country that are happening. We also um, you know help uh, we also distribute funds to communities that do um, Invasion Day events. Mm-hmm. And so the more and more popular we get, the more and more, you know, that we're not popular, but I guess it's more that communities find out about the work that we do. Um, The
2: more people uh, step up and take responsibility for living on stolen land,
8: perhaps? Exactly, and exactly. And it's not about, it's not a donation, and we don't treat it like a donation. Um, And yeah, so it's really important that as we grow, we need the uh, rent payer base to grow as well.
2: I mean, whenever I talk to people about this and I say that the major expense that pay the rent does is funerals people are shocked and appalled, which I think is the right reaction but um, yep. is a sad indictment of how First Nations people are treated in Australia yep
8: yeah and we found that you know one of the one of the hardest things that I think that we came up with and we've had, when you know we've covered a lot uncovered a lot you know work and experience and you know, with have uh, you know, we when we started and the word got, you know, we started to work with communities, found that some communities in the Northern Territory, some people were being held for more than five years in funeral homes because people were in the oh, basics card. And they outrageous. were able the to pull funds for funerals. Um, and I'm not 100% across basics cards, but Um, people that had families that were on the basics card couldn't afford a loved one's funeral and so some people were being held in funeral parlours for years because they couldn't afford to bury their own family members and so that was something that we were able to do as pay the rent to um, redirect those rent the rent funds directly to people who had you know, it's like one of the amazing things about that we were able to do but you know it's We've uncovered a lot of um, horrific things that we can see that this government and, you know, that do to our people, um, to bury our people with dignity.
2: Now... Something that you've also done a lot of work on is Aboriginal deaths in custody, um, with, and it was another issue that was highlighted recently by Pay the Rent. Can you talk about? I mean, you've mentioned this slightly um, already, but any progress or it seems to be more regress that's happening in well, protecting people in custody.
8: Well, we certainly, we, uh, if I can note what's changed, it's that we're seeing more people come to us. So. It's raising, the numbers are rising. And we dedicate a significant amount of rent to um, deaths and custodies, um, and that's initially with the funerals and sorry business, but also to help families get to and respond to the coronial inquest and so that they can see a fair process for their families. Um, Because, you know, we often find that... If the death happens in another state, or if the family lives in a different um, town, like a country, a rural remote area, um, they're not. There's no support to get there, and so, um, and the more that people bear witness to those processes, the more likely the state is likely to um, follow due diligence. Um, and so, it's really important that we get people and support them. Combination and travel and fighting funds, um, like campaigning funds, um, to to um, yeah to respond to what's happened to their family members this huge and grave, just injustice.
2: Earlier this morning, we had um, some interviews um, on a previous show, um, "Women on the Line," that was broadcast. Um, at six o'clock this morning, um, so listeners may not have heard all of it, and talking about the um, access to phone calls um, for people in custody. Um, So there's obviously a whole range of issues faced by people in custody, and obviously the Aboriginal community form a largely disproportionate number of people in detention and in custody. So how do we stop deaths in custody and all these other injustices? And I'm thinking here a bit about your work in abolition.
8: Oh, like, I mean, the first and the most important way is um, abolition. I mean, and this is my personal view, mm. um, the, I, I truly definitely believe that for as long as prisons exist in this country that um, people, Aboriginal people, will be, continue to um, be killed in custody by the state um, You know, and in Australia, it's the norm to surveil, it's the norm to police. And so, while we have a culture that punishes people um, who are experiencing homelessness um, and racially profiles communities in extreme and grotesque ways, um, and I think, like, the average um, person would know how much control and surveillance. That the police are doing in our communities on people who um, who are, are experiencing homelessness or who are just existing out on their everyday life mm. in the streets. Um, and if you and like, Candy dates one of the perfect examples of that. She was asleep on a train, yeah. and she ended up dying in custody. I mean, and there were there are many different examples of how people die in custody. Um, and I think the first and foremost. To, um, to 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 uh, yeah, I think it's diminished the reach and the power that 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 um, these institutions have in our communities, and um, you know fund the housing and you know abolish poverty in our communities. and I don't think it's like it shouldn't be about the dollar, but. Um, if you look at the budget for policing and prisons in any state across the country, and you compare that to the housing budgets, um, it's like almost you know, tenfold. There's no, there's, it's it's absolutely disgusting the commitment to policing and controlling our communities rather than responding um, to to communities with appropriate schooling, with appropriate housing, um, self-determined. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think especially here in Victoria, um, I would really hate to see. Um, you know, there's an opportunity to diminish the power of policing within our communities with the with the treaty, but, um, yeah, it depends. That will all be remained to be seen.
2: Yeah, and this was touched on in our earlier um, broadcast just now by Uncle Robbie Thorpe as well the over policing. Of indigenous communities in Australia, um, the other related issue, of course, is youth detention. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? It's not my
8: um, look. Yeah, I could potentially touch on it, but um, I think most parents um, and kids in Australia are police. Uh, sorry, punished in Australia for um, um, system, uh, like system abuses, like poverty. Mm. Um, And, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, you can ask a question if you
2: like. That's all right. So um, you've talked a bit about this, but I just wondered if you would like to talk a bit more about the impact that paying the rent has on the ground, um, not uh, in remote communities, but also in urban areas.
8: Um, It's really important because um, we, the the funds are very different to um, charities, and um we we don't um you know that that like charities really are in place to support the systems of mm-hmm. abuse that are continuing against our people. Um, but um and not all charities, I mean you know, I guess yeah. that's a broad statement. And they've got
2: much strict we, they've got very strict guidelines, right? For uh, how yeah, things to I be mean spent. we have
8: an application process mm. that people go through um, and but the, the, um, the premise of those applications and how those, they are decisioned are by Aboriginal people for Aboriginal people. And mm-hmm. it's a very self-determined way in the way that those funds are distributed where we support the aspirations of communities. We also fund, um, like, um, many um, campaigns and community initiatives that the state won't fund. Um uh, or, you know, other charities or philanthropies. And that's things like the protests and it generally goes to, you know, um, fighting back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so we um, work with different activist groups around, you know, I mean, yes, I, it, like the frontline activism, um, like embassies that are happening around the country, Aboriginal embassies we've assisted in the past with, um many different I mean like embassies generally aren't supported by um philanthropies or charities. Um and so we have more of an anti colonial approach in the way that we distribute funds.
2: Now how can listeners find out more and how can they contribute? Um you can go um
8: to pay the rent website, mm-hmm. paytherent.net.au, dot au. Um,
2: and we'll and, put that in our show notes just to interject.
8: Yeah, and you can follow the link to become a renter. Um, and we are, uh, yeah, we're just beginning, we're in a phase where we are talking more to renters and doing forums and um, uh, panels with people that pay rent so um, they can have more access to, um, they'll be able to meet, have the opportunity and meet Um where we meet the community um, members and initiatives and organisations where the funds are distributed to. And, um, yeah, we often don't put um, community groups through journalist red tape um, to get the funds. Um, And so we rely really heavily on our relationships with communities and knowledge of of what we know works on the ground. Um, And so there's, um, yeah, there's there's like a relational element um, you know, for example, with the with more floods, you know, we know that the QM Mail do amazing work and that they were able to redistribute funds really well. And so the application was able to happen pretty soon to assist with floods, like with people on the ground. It was well for the state was assisting um, um, people with the floods, floods, floods on the ground as well. And so, um,
2: yeah, great. Thank you very much for your time this morning. It's been great Thank having you. you on the show and we'll have the link to au in the show notes um, for yep. today's show for those that want to follow up. Thanks yeah. a lot, Mariki. And,
8: um, just just oh, one sure. more note. I just want to encourage everyone to get up to their local Invasion Day protests. I know in Victoria it's happening on the steps of Parliament House. Yep. I think it's going to start at 10am.
2: It is, um, yes.
8: And... Yeah, and I hope that you yeah, give the announcement out and a shout out to everyone that's heading out for
2: the protest. Yeah. We'll be we'll be announcing that again later at, after well soon and also at the end of the show. So we'll make we'll be making sure that we can get as many listeners out there as possible and I'm sure most of our listeners will be seeing you on Friday. Thanks, Sonia. Bye. Cheers, bye. That was Mariki Onis from Pay the Rent. As she says, for more information and to contribute, you can visit paytherent.net.au. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and you can catch us on AM via the community radio app or through the WWW at 3CR.org.au. <laughs>
3: your mouth, keep on giving till you just can't give Getting weaker by the night Can't find a reason No reason in a living well, good with his bad well, good with his bad But you know it's not easy
4: was the song Black Woman by Emma Donovan and the
0: Putbacks. The Melbourne Activist Legal Support have put out a statement of concern regarding the police action at the picket protest. There's four points in this preliminary statement of concern including the way protesters were treated, the use of force and pepper spray and police cap crowd control. For more information you can head to mouse.au.
2: So we've just had, um, we were listening to the Zim blockade protest first and then had some really thought-provoking speeches and discussion with Meraki. I mean, I mm. was appalled at the idea that somebody could lie in wait for five years yeah. um, for awaiting to be, um, to have their final rights heard and things. Um, the situation is, it's insane. Mm. Yeah. It's
4: dire, really, um, and, you know, so much of that money going towards funerals. I mean, it ref- it's a reflection of, of the reality um, of, of yeah, this country. Yeah. Um, yeah, but really great interview. Um, it was great to hear from
2: Um, Should we do some community announcements?
4: Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, so tonight the Jew Collective are hosting a screening of the Blackfella Palestinian Solidarity Symposium film um, that was made by the Institute for Collaborative Race Research. So they're going to be having some music and poetry from First Nations and Palestinian activists, um, conversations as well. Um, yep, yeah, and tickets are 10 20 or $50 at the theory bar.
2: We're just going to have a couple of community service announcements and then we're going to go to um, an interview with Overland Literary Journal co-editor Evelyn Araluan and contributor Dr Michaela Saha.
6: taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them.
7: This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved.
0: Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at
4: apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance.
7: Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian
6: people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active.
4: APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR.
2: So for the last segment this morning, we're going to interview um, Overland Literary Journal co-editor Evelyn Araluan and contributor Dr. Michaela Saha. We featured Evelyn in a pre-record last week, but for listeners who don't know, Evelyn is a Guri and Kuri poet and a descendant from the Bunjalong Nation. Michaela is a Palestinian-Australian writer and educator whose most recent writings are in the Overland Journal and the Sydney Review of Books. The editorial to the last issue ends with this powerful commitment and provocation. We remain steadfast in our commitment to the Palestinian struggle and are grateful for the writers and activists on the ground who have joined arms with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Now more than ever, we must remember the great Auntie Lilla Watson's words, if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. So, Evelyn, perhaps you can start by telling us a bit about what's in this issue of the journal and why these words are so important right now.
1: Hi, yeah, of course. Um, and thank you for having us on and thank you a for... A pleasure. Um, thank
2: you for joining us.
1: Forming this discussion. It's very necessary at this moment in time. Um, yes, yeah, so um, in Overland Literary Journal, we've been trying as much as possible to emphasise the voices of Palestinians in this period, um, uh, obviously through you know the online magazine when we've been trying to publish as many open letters as possible, but we did have the amazing privilege and opportunity of working with Dr. Michaela Sahar about her um, on, on a really beautiful essay um, that's included in this um, in this edition of Overland called the Idiosyncratic Archive, Overland 169 and the Wollstonecraft Years. Um, that was actually just sort of a complete coincidence, um, because we reached out to Michaela months ago wanting to work with her on writing an essay for our archive series, which invites um, different creators to respond to different aspects of Overland's archive, and Michaela being, you know, the the poet and historian combined that she is, um, her essay is a really stunning reflection on Melbourne's literary history, but how that's also interwoven into her own personal and familial history and the legacies of colonialism and oppression that um, she works in, but also that overland operates in. So that's... To me, is an enormous highlight. Um, you know, the production schedules of these things work in such a way that this edition is mostly formulated well before um, uh, well before um, the attacks on Gaza began after October the seventh. Um, but obviously, the condition of Palestinian oppression pre-exists that, so it was a, it was a concern of ours. Um, But, yeah, the rest of the edition, um, you know, we've got a lot of literary writing in this edition. As I said, it's a... You know, we we work on these things, you know, well in advance. Um, So there's a lot of essays about, um, um, you know, uh, geography and poetry, the history of um, Australian poetic movements in in Melbourne especially, uh, so so the conversations between all of these works are political, but they are first and foremost, I think, in this edition literary. And then our beautiful cover by Quandamooka artist Lise Carmichael is a detail from um, one of her works in a series on um, weaving and gathering and water. So it felt like a really beautiful it felt just like a really beautiful piece of imagery that we could be thinking about as we go into um, as we go into God, I don't even remember what what month is spring. Okay, we were, <laughs> we we intended this to come out in spring, so you know, publishing cycle for you.
2: <laughs> and um, Michaela, could you talk a bit? I mean, the the piece that you contributed to this issue. I mean, I've put down that it's achingly poignant, which I think it is. It, um, could you talk a little bit about? Um, the piece that you contributed.
12: Yes, of course. Um, thank you so much for having me on, Sonia, and it's to be on the radio with you too, Evelyn. Um, thank you for your words. Uh, so as Evelyn mentioned, it was a commission actually to amplify Overland's digital archiving project. Mm-hmm. So this is part of a sort of longer um, project. Some of the pieces I think have appeared and some are perhaps yet to come. Um, and for me, it was a really nice opportunity to reflect... Actually, on how I initially found Overland, which may not surprise anyone to learn in some ways, but it was actually my creative writing teacher, Tony Birch, um, when I was an undergraduate who directed Mm -hmm. me to reading um, sort of a a local publication and I guess a a counter-publication. So this was an opportunity actually to go back to some of Tony's work um, and think about the impact that he had had in shaping my writing but I guess more broadly the piece is actually an exploration of my relationship to overland as a space for um, positions that are counter to the mainstream and to reflect as, as the title I guess suggests on some of the idiosyncrasies. Um, the, the idiosyncrasies of archives but the way that they might find resonance with a person who's trying to formulate their own political position in the world which i think as a young palestinian um in a place like australia was a difficult thing to do it was sort of post nine eleven um that i sort of came into my own if you like as a as a young writer and and as a I guess, academic um, being in the world. But I think you can see in the Overland archives and in the pieces that I take up in the work, um, for for instance, my my writing actually on a on an issue um, from the archive that focuses on Christos Bolkos' um, publication of one of, I think, his best works, Dead Europe. And you can really see Overland taking up a kind of anti-racist um, position and pursuing sort of, complex topics, difficult topics, topics that were maybe unpopular. Um, and so I think the piece as a whole is reflecting on how um, how vital Overland was mm-hmm. as a forum for me um, as a young Palestinian writer. But actually, I want to bring it back to the present as well and say that um, and acknowledge the incredible and unstinting support that Overland has given to um, Palestinian writers and their allies um, since the since the attacks have, have uh, started on, on Gaza in October that are that are ongoing. So shout out to Overland. Everyone should get a subscription
2: if they don't have one. Uh, that was definitely something that I was going to put into this segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the editorial, bringing back to that, um, Evelyn, you and your co-editor Jonathan Dunk talk about the rejection of minimal symbolic demands here in Australia in particular the rejection of the voice and how these seem insignificant in the light of what's happening in Palestine how are those two things in widely disparate geographic areas connected I mean we talked about this a bit well Uncle, um, Uncle Robbie Thorpe talked about it in the piece we had earlier but I'd love to hear your reflections on it and Michaela feel free to um, chip in yeah I mean the the response that I that I've had I think
1: the interconnection of the referendum and um, the attacks on Gaza—you know—this is a sort of a temporal coincidence that might seem disconnected, but um, when you look at you know um, the multiple um, the multiple modes of settler colonialism, so whether that be through municipality and bureaucracy and um, and the sort of incorporation of. Really quite, you know, distinct forms of, of sovereignty and representation or the attempt to incorporate that into the bureaucratic mechanisms of the state. Um, you know, we really get a very clear demonstration of what a sort of, um, you know, what the progression of settler-colonialism is intending and what it aspires um, towards for the um, in regards to the ongoing oppression and management, particularly of... The, the natives, and I'm using natives to, you know, and reflecting on on how Frank Fanon wrote about settler colonialism and the oppression of, um, you know, of 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 not just his own people being, you know, afro Martinique, but also the oppression of the Algerians and mm-hmm. oppression of oppression of Palestinians and um and and the interconnection of all of those struggles, and so. You know, when when we had the referendum and, you know, instead of focusing on, on the last days of polling and all of these sorts of, um, you know, these these forms of observation and surveillance of this proposed bureaucratic mechanism, um, I kept on turning away and I kept on looking at footage of Palestine and I knew with, you know, that very sick horrible feeling that i think we anyone who's who who follows um anything about palestine um you know we knew um the the referendum was on the 14th of october you know we, we knew that we knew what was going to be happening um and we've been called cynical for how quickly you know we wanted to try to react and emphasize um, you know, the the history of settler colonialism in Palestine. But that, you know, that was because we, we knew what was about to happen as, as, a, as a result. And we knew what the IDF, what the Israeli government's response was going to be. And to be sitting in the midst of that, you know, mm. very strange and particular kind of, of grief that comes out of watching, you know, you're, you're watching your, your whole community reluctantly step forward to the plate of, of, you know, this referendum that, you know, we all have incredibly complex feelings about. But I, I think most people can really sort of say that this is not how we wanted, you know, this is not how we wanted our you know, our representation, our sovereignty, our autonomy to be debated. We didn't want that to be a public spectacle for the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see that that fail um, at the same time as, as bombs were dropping on Gaza, um, you know, it was... A, it was a, I felt it was a very swift call to action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this bureaucratic mechanism has failed. OK, where do we need to put our energy you know, we need to put our energy into Gaza and we need to put our energy into Palestine because there's no use for that energy right here, right now. So that's, you know, that's an emotional response. Um, And it's one that I think, um, you know, it's one that I think that we'll be continuing to work through. But um, I've just been so impressed in, in how those already quite long-standing relationships of solidarity between Palestinians and Aboriginal people you know, I'm just really impressed with how throughout all of this horrific grief and exhaustion and terror that Palestinians in Australia are living through at the moment, that they have continued to make and affirm the place of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in their protest and in their activism. Um, and that's a representation of much more long standing commitments than just in the here and the now. And so, you know, yeah, I've been really proud to be able to say that we've put our energy towards that because we know that, you know, we we know what that means and we know that that is is needed and respected by Palestinians organising in Australia.
2: Um, Michaela, do you have anything that you'd like to contribute to that?
12: Well, I just wanted to pick up actually on something Evelyn said, which was and perhaps correct me if I'm wrong, Evelyn, but that uh, you were attacked for sort of an overly prompt response to what was going on in, in Gaza in October. Did I understand that correctly?
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: One of the things that we got um, criticised for and one of the things we got pushed back for was that apparently we were being very cynical for mm. trying to advocate for Gaza so quickly and that we weren't sufficiently attending to um, Israeli grief at that time.
12: yeah. And actually, what I want to say in response to that is, I think I think the connections of solidarity between First Nations people in this country and Palestinians, in part, is a reason why you may not have, um, uh, you know, waited around because actually, although the world started to look at Gaza after um, the attacks on October the seventh, for Palestinians, this had been one of the most deadly year that they'd encountered in the twenty first century. I was in uh, Jerusalem in June, and there was a a town in the, the north of the West Bank, uh, Janin, that was being bombed at that time. A number of people were, were, were killed by Israeli um, uh, bombing. This, of course, was not really in the English media. It didn't make the Australian news. And so there's a sense, I suppose, for Palestinian people and First Nations people that the thing that makes the news is often about... Um, Uh, something I suppose that a mainstream audience can relate to and without being too cynical about it, I think it has a lot to do with white grief and settler suffering and that actually what happens for Indigenous people in their country all the time um, now forms, it's horrifying to say, but a baseline of acceptability. So maybe 200 Palestinian deaths in a year don't make the news because that is the baseline of Palestinian deaths in a year under occupation. Um, And so I think that response, from Overland is actually, um, particularly with Evelyn as a, a, a as a as a woman um, who is an editor. There, there is a recognition and an apprehension that when things do make the news, there's a whole other story underneath no. underneath the event that makes the
2: news. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut you off because I would like you to very quickly answer the question if there's anything other than subscribing to the Overland Journal that you could suggest listeners do to support. But we're running out of time, so if we could make this really quick, that would be great.
12: Sure. Join the APAN campaign. Join the Sunday rallies, which have been cancelled this, uh, this week for Invasion Day. Donate to APAN or Olive Kids or through other trusted networks. Um, wear a cafe or start conversations. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: Great. Yeah. I,
1: I agree. The only thing I'll, I'll also add is um, that you can buy e for journalists and for civilians in Gaza at the moment. Um, it's very, there's a lot of mechanisms. Just Google mm-hmm. buy Gaza e-SIM um, and you'll be able to find a way to help get, um, get uh, reception and, um, and, and support
8: to people in Gaza.
2: Great. Thank you both so much. I'm sorry that I have to cut you off on what's a really interesting and important discussion. Um, we've been speaking with Guri Kuri poet Evelyn Araloon and Palestinian Australian writer Michaela Saha about the latest edition of the Overland Literary Journal and the theme of solidarity it explores between the Palestinian and Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander histories and experience of settler colonialism. You can, We'll have links in the show notes for those things. Great.
4: Um, I just wanted to mention the Invasion Day rally is taking place on Friday at Parliament. So it's starting at 10 a.m. and from 10 a.m. 3CR will be broadcasting live and then for 4 p.m. there will be other First Nations content broadcasting on topics like sovereignty, liberation and deaths in custody. You can also stream um, via 3cr.org.au or Um, through the community radio app Um, and there's also a few actions happening a few other actions are on the 25th uh, at 6 p.m unionists from palestine are meeting in west melbourne Um, you can find the details about that on the apan website or on their instagram um and on saturday there is a fundraiser a palestinian fundraiser lunch in brunswick and that's starting at 10 a.m goes till three um, and in mooney valley there's an action for community action for palestine in Debney's park in flemington and that's at 12 p.m
0: that's it for wednesday breakfast thanks gang and to put us out there. Just one more announcement but then we'll finish with Archie Roach Love is Everything. Have a great day everyone and upcoming is the Commons Conversations We'll see you next week.
2: Thanks so- Our Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street Carlton. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au